In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. That's Luke Chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, the familiar Christmas story uh, in the New Testament. And I want to take just a few minutes to share a few brief thoughts about that. I've given it a title, actually, and it is Behold Our God. And so I just read this in account. And what an amazing thing it is when a baby is born, if you think about it. Not just this baby, but any baby. I mean, the whole thing. From conception to pregnancy to birth to childhood, it's, it's astonishing. And the more you study it, the more amazing it becomes that this could even happen at all. It, it just is mind-boggling to me. Now, my daughter is expecting our second grandson, second grandchild, in just two weeks. And we're pretty excited. I'm a lot more excited than the first time because I know <laughs> just how good this whole thing is. And so we're looking forward to that. And every parent, I think, and every grandparent, too, probably wonders, what will this child be when they grow up, what are they going to become? What will they do? And they have high hopes and a lot of prayers go out for Christian families regarding their children. Well, does anyone recognize this picture? Well, that's Pope Francis as a boy. And how about this one? Good call. <laughs> Who said that? Don. Okay, you don't get the answer anymore now. <laughs> Very good. Okay, how about this one? You probably know. The yeah, that's John F. Kennedy, but to me, he looks like the guy from Mad Magazine <laughs> in that picture. He, of course, he's a handsome man. Um, all right, well, what about this guy? Kim Jong-un as a little boy. And this one? 
Mahatma Gandhi. And so you probably figured out by now that these are a bunch of world leaders. One of them good at least, and some of them not so much. Do any of you recognize this little baby? That's, that's not Paul. <laughs> Who said that's Paul? Was that you again, Don? That's Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Two more. Okay, this little guy, what a cutie. Ronald Reagan. And does anyone recognize this one? I call him Prince GC. That's my grandson. <laughs> well, I, I like, I take the, I take the song uh, from Aladdin and I change the words. Prince GC, marvelous he, Gabriel Connor. And I sing this to him, you know, and then he throws in the last name, Hackbarth. <laughs> so we had this little game going on. He's still working on what exactly he's going to be. He hasn't made a name for himself yet. But we all wonder, parents, grandparents, what will these little babies be when they grow up? But the baby we read about in Luke chapter 2, it wasn't just what he would become. It was what he was already when he was born and even before he was born. This baby was different than any other child ever born. This baby was none other than God himself in human flesh. Two Sundays ago, we sang the popular song, Mary Did You Know? And I love the lyrics to that song because it just causes us to think about this amazing thing, that this was God. And it says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new and this child that you delivered will soon deliver you? What an amazing thing to ponder. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know? Well, the answer to that question, yeah, she did know. Now, it still had to be just, you know, mind-boggling to her as well. But Mary did know. She knew that this baby was the promised Savior. And she knew that this baby was God. But he was the Savior that Israel had been anticipating for some 2,000 years. She knew it because the angel made the announcement to her and said so. But she also knew it because of the incredible way in which this baby was conceived. She was there sometime later. It wasn't that night in the manger, but sometime later when the Magi, the wise men, came to offer their gifts. In Matthew 2.11, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and did what? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. You only worship God. You should only worship God. Imagine having God living in your home. It had to be just an incredible thing. Max Lucado wrote a book called God Came Near. And in it he had a chapter. 25 things that he would like to ask of Mary. And a couple of them include this. Did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? 
Did you ever, did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof? Did you ever accidentally call him father? <laughs> you little weird son. <laughs> did you ever think that's God who's eating my soup? I mean, this would just be the astounding nature of having God in your home with you. Imagine the things you must have thought and felt as he was growing up. Today you see parents kind of tout their children's achievements on bumper stickers on the back of their car. Like, my child made the honor roll at kinder care, <laughs> you know, for toddlers. Or my six-year-old is a black belt. Or all of that kind of thing. Now, I don't know if this was a thing back then, but if it were, it probably would have looked something like this. My child was, see, if there, my child is an honor student, my, child, my son is in medical school. Our son is God. <laughs> That's quite a bumper sticker. Nobody else can have that bumper sticker. Our son is God. And it's funny to think about it. But as strange as it is, this child was none other than God in human flesh. Before Jesus was conceived, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Another angel announced to the shepherds on the night he was born, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This is God. And you might say, well, anyone can claim to be God. And it's true, and a lot of people do. Herod the Great claimed to be the Messiah of Israel. And he went and had all the little babies in Bethlehem killed shortly after Jesus' birth because this was a threat to his, his claim and to his authority that a king of kings could be born. So they had the slaughter of the innocents there to try and protect his position of power. But the identity of Jesus was proven through the fulfillment of prophecy. One such prophecy was given through Isaiah more than 700 years before he was born. This one, a part of it, Cassidy read tonight. And Isaiah 9, I'll read you just two verses. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That was 700 years before he was born. And there were 350 prophecies of Jesus that told about where he would be born. How, what he would do, uh, how he would die, with the money that would be paid for his ransom, and on and on and on. He's the only baby ever born for which the details of his life were laid out in print hundreds of years before he was ever born. It wasn't just conjecture. Prophecy demonstrated that Jesus was none other than the promised Messiah who was God. And then as this little baby grew up and began his ministry. He didn't just, again, claim to be God, but he proved it. He proved it with a demonstration of God's power. He healed hundreds, probably even thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people of 
every kind of disease, what they called incurable diseases. Even people born blind and born lame, he totally healed them. He calmed the storm. He walked on water. He drove out demons. He even raised people from the dead. And tens of thousands of people saw him do these things. Even his antagonists didn't deny the miracles that he did. They admitted, this man has done many marvelous signs. But the greatest proof would be his own resurrection. That too was prophesied, not only in the Old Testament, four, five, six hundred years before he was born, but he said it himself again and again. We're going into Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to die, and I will rise again on the third day. He said it many times. And just as he said, he rose again on the third day. These prophecies were the whole reason why the Roman soldier sealed the tomb. So that he couldn't deceive the people by faking a resurrection. They posted a guard. The miracles of Jesus prove his claim that he was in fact God. And Jesus himself said this in John 10, 38. He said, even if you don't believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Well, that's saying I'm God. Don't, don't listen just to what I say. Look at these miracles. Who else could do this but God alone? So there's overwhelming historical evidence that Jesus was in fact God for anyone who wants to explore it. But something I want to quickly consider is this. Why does it matter? That Jesus was God. What difference does that make? Aren't we making a big deal out of something that's maybe not a big deal? Well, here's why it's a big deal. Because if Jesus wasn't the sinless son of God, then he wasn't an acceptable sacrifice for your sin and for mine. There'd be no way for him to credit his righteousness to us. He wouldn't have any righteousness to give us. We'd have no forgiveness, we'd have no eternal life, and we'd still be dead in our sins. It was, it was absolutely essential that the Savior be God, because God alone could, could do this for us. 1 John 4, 9-11, through 11, the book that we're studying on Sunday mornings, it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. An atoning sacrifice is a sacrifice that brings reconciliation between holy God and sinful man. It makes a way for them to be brought back together, to be reconciled. Atoning sacrifice is one in which it satisfies the requirements of a just and righteous God. And so it's a sacrifice we can never make for ourselves. It's a sacrifice that only God could make for us. And that's what he did. The Savior had to be God in order to bring us forgiveness and eternal life. So then why did he have to also be a man? Couldn't God? He's God. He can do anything. Couldn't he just call down from heaven and declare forgiveness? You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Why did he have to become a man? Well, the answer has three really quick parts. 
And it's fascinating. First of all, God had declared that the penalty for sin is death. Sin and death go hand in hand. Romans says sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Passed on from Adam to every single man and woman born. And not only did physical death enter the world, but spiritual death did. Spiritual death is a separation of sinners from a holy God. Holy God can't be united to sinful mankind. He'd no longer be holy, which means pure, like Dan spoke about. So God had declared that the penalty for sin is death. Secondly, the penalty for sin just can't be removed. It had to be paid. You can't just erase a debt. You have to transfer funds into the account. And so the penalty had to be paid. But there is a third reason why it was so critical for God to become a man. And this is a big one. An eternal God cannot die. Think about that. God is immutable. He cannot die. So if he can't die, he can't pay the penalty for sin. He can't forgive us and give us eternal life. He had to become a man. And so how did he do this? The answer, the incarnation, God coming into carnal flesh. The birth of Jesus. He takes on flesh and blood. It's the only way that he could accomplish our salvation and offer us that forgiveness and eternal life. So in the most incredible act of love and humility that a person could, I think, even imagine, God leaves the splendor of heaven and comes down into our little some have called it our little casket of death, our world, our earth. And he came as a humble, helpless baby. Think about the fact that the God who created the universe, who measures it with the span of his hand, he says it's about that big. Have you seen those new pictures from the James Webb telescope? I mean, the universe is enormous. And God says, it's like that big. But he steps down from heaven and confines himself to an embryo inside a peasant girl. Totally helpless. There's no bigger step down, no bigger condescension than to go from the God of all creation in heaven to an embryo inside a peasant girl born in a stable. A stable of all places. It's not what you would expect for the Savior of the world. I mean, if we wrote the script, it wouldn't look like that, would it? But it, he did it to show us that he didn't just come to save the wealthy and the powerful. He didn't at all. Look at who the birth announcement was made to. It wasn't emperors and kings. It was made to shepherds. Shepherds were the lowly, ordinary, even outcast members of society. They were dirty. They were unclean. He announced it to shepherds because he wanted to demonstrate that all people could have access to God. It didn't matter who you were, man or woman, rich or poor, king or peasant, you would have access to God. And it's, it's Christmas that we celebrate tonight and tomorrow, but, but we know the story didn't end there. His birth was just the start of his hum humility. I think Cassidy read Philippians 2, verse 8 says, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, I'd say even further, 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it was more than just the kind of death we think about. People die all the time of cancer and all of that. But have you ever had the sin of the world and the penalty for it placed upon you? All the sin of all the people over all time placed on a sinless man. The agony of that is unimaginable. I mean, we, we way overemphasize the, the nails and the crown and the spears. And they were horrible, but they're nothing like having the sin of the world placed upon a sinless man. Unimaginable agony. And yet, three days later, exactly as he said, he rose to life again. He showed that sin and death had no power over them. He had defeated them. And he lives today. And he lives today and he extends us this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. You know the verse, John 3, 16. I'm going to read 17 also. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this is what we celebrate. This is why we celebrate at Christmas. He didn't send his son to condemn the world. He sent his son to save the world. The first time he comes. And so we celebrate Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here in our space. So as you think about this baby in the manger, I hope your response would be one like, Maybe the angels, the shepherds, the wise men. Like millions of people literally over the last 2,000 years. That your response would be one of worship and awe at what God has done. And my prayer would be that if you haven't already done so. That as you think about what God did that you would humble yourself. And repent and say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Forgive me. And by faith, I believe in you. I believe in what you did. And I thank you for it. And I ask that you forgive me. And you give me that free gift of eternal life. The one that only you could give. That's why he came. Not to condemn the world, to save the world. But the truth is, he'll come again. The second time, it won't be the suffering savior it'll be the conquering king and he will put an end to all unrighteousness once and for all he will judge the world with justice and righteousness and I hope on that day every one of us that our name is written in his book of life because those who are not will face an eternal separation from God so what an amazing thing that God has done on Christmas as wonderful as the lights and the gifts and the warm, fuzzy feeling and the family and all that is. This is our God. This is what he did. And so my hope and prayer is that tonight you can declare along with all God's people, behold our God. Would you pray with me? Lord God. What amazing, unfathomable love and grace 
to even think that you would leave the splendor of heaven. God, we had a hard time leaving our house to come here on a cold day. You left the splendor of heaven and came into this world of sin and death, not to condemn the world, but to be condemned by the world, condemned to death in order that we, the world, might receive forgiveness and eternal life. God, we are astounded at that. We glory in that truth. We glory in who you are and in what you've done. And we gather tonight to worship you with all of our heart. And we thank you for this gift of Christmas. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.